Hey, wonderful people. Happy Sunday and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Um, it's a beautiful day out. Wow, I hope you get outside. Uh, I hear a lot of people are. Uh, be safe, keep the social distancing, but also celebrate uh, being outside. We, of course, uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and it's a day that we uh, actually uh, just remember those that have given their all in the families and uh, the hurt and the pain that they have and the, the, the gratitude that we have uh, for them and memorialize them. So, uh, yeah, I got a shiner. You can see that's pretty good. About a dozen stitches. Uh, had uh, an issue the other day where I was dehydrated and, uh, and found out that I prescribed too much uh, blood pressure pressure medication right now too high of a dose and uh, so I popped up off of the couch and promptly crashed and then uh, split my face open and shook it off with a poor horrified wife and thought I could get up and make it to the couch and crashed a second time and by then she called the paramedics <laughs> I was in an ambulance going to the hospital the good news is is uh uh, outside of the things they discovered, I'm healthy as a horse, uh, but I just can't drink coffee all day and not drink any water, I guess. And, and then uh, the good news is uh, I need less medication, not more, and uh, for my blood pressure, which is, which is good. Uh, anyways, so I'm fine, and I'm grateful to be here. And uh, I feel bad for my wife, man. She thought I was buying it, so that was tough. But I'm trying to make it up to her now. I'm going to talk about Moses. Man, I could talk about Moses a long time, so i got to be careful. But I'm going to start first with uh, something that you're familiar with. Most, most of you are familiar with the Moses story, right? Through Cecil B. DeMille, Charlton Heston, whatever, the cartoons, uh, animations that have been made. You know the Moses story. And you'll remember that uh, he was a high-ranking official in Egypt, and then he uh, murdered an Egyptian. He was beating on a Hebrew slave. And he had to go into exile, and he went out into the desert and became a uh, a shepherd for his uh, what would become his father-in-law, and uh, and then ultimately uh, there he encounters God in the desert, and God appears in the form of a burning bush and speaks to him, he tells him to take his sandals off because he's stepping on holy ground. So uh, Moses does, and he is told then by God that he is going to go back to Egypt be God's spokesman, and he is going to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And he tells them that there's a place that they're, they're still going to, that they haven't arrived at, and Moses is going to lead them on this journey. And then Moses has this you know, sober moment, like, okay, but when they ask me, who sent me? Like, what's your name? God. <laughs> and... And this phrase shows up once in, in the entire Jewish Bible, the Tanakh. Uh, Eya Asher Eya. Apparently God speaks Hebrew, at least, to Moses. And it's often translated in English translations as, I am who I am. You've probably heard that before. Some say, I am what I am. And that's actually closer. I am who is. And those all have a piece of it, um, the I am part. But the better translation, the more accurate, direct, literal translation would be, I will be what I will be, or I am what I will be. Uh, in other words, there's a future tense to 
to God's name. That's very interesting. And if you miss that, you kind of miss the essence of Judaism. Uh, his call, even in his name, is to something which is not yet. And if you miss that, you miss what makes Judaism unique in many ways. Okay, now consider the Bible story. Uh, start with what we call the Old Testament. Uh, in literature, literature, there are many kinds of stories, right? But one thing they have in common, generally speaking, is an ending, right? Uh, that's a common theme, right? So they, ha they live happily ever after, like in fairy tales. Or the heroine or hero dies, uh, or there's a tragic ending, and we call that uh, in literature a, a tragedy. But there's generally speaking some sort of closure. And that's what makes them stories. But now if you consider the story of Genesis, Genesis, Bereshit in the, in the Hebrew means beginnings. It's a story with a beginning and an open ending. Um, it's interesting that Mark's gospel, the first gospel is kind of written that way too. Uh, the ending is really open-ended. In Mark's original gospel, Jesus dies, he's crucified, he's buried, and then the tomb is empty, and that's it. That's all you. So what does that mean? What you know, the story in some sense is just beginning, and you see that uh, in the biblical narrative of, of Genesis. Uh, God creates, and this creation has potential. It can multiply and it can expand for better or worse. And in the first narratives, we see tragedy. We see it for worse. Cain, excuse me, uh, Adam and Eve. You know, they get tossed out of the garden. They have kids. Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother Abel. That's pretty horrific. And this this freedom that we have, this this that that's incorporated into us, is repeated on a global scale to where uh, it's flooded with with violence and and inhumanity by human beings, and consequently, it's in the story flooded for real and God like does a reboot kills off the entire globe total genocide kills off uh, the entire globe and then starts over saving just a, a handful of people on a boat you know the story of Noah so that's the reboot but the reboot goes south pretty quickly after that as well you know civilization civilization is formed and they begin to conspire against God and then to their own greatness they build a, a big tower called Babel and uh, you know the deal God confuses the languages and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful story and it but the people's freedom has created chaos and abuse and oppression and greed and power grabs and violence and gluttony and selfishness and slavery. You know, we look at Babel, but we also look at the towers building as, look at this, is, this involves slavery. So a new beginning is necessary again, another reboot, and this time God chooses a man, Avraham, in the land of Ur, which is in Mesopotamia, which is currently uh, Iraq today. And he chooses this man, he's a polytheist, he has many gods, but this one God says and speaks to him now and says, come and follow me. I'm, uh, I'm gonna do something new. And he's told to leave all things that constrain him. He's gonna be sent somewhere new. And he has, to, he has to dish his baggage. He has to dish his land, his nation, his house, his belongings. Uh, and begin a new kind of life with God, a life uh, that is going to affect him, his family, other individuals, and ultimately, he says, the world, okay? 
It's kind of like what Jesus told us to do in many ways, right? We kind of get a reboot of that in the Jesus teachings. Uh, the rest of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, is really about this covenant as it applies to the birth of this nation. And the Jewish story is continually unfinished. It, it, it's, it's about a journey from slavery to what is called uh, difficult freedom. Uh, a freedom that includes responsibility and its construction. A freedom and a liberty that is constructed with responsibility. And God promises uh, uh, Abraham a son, Yitzhak, Isaac, in his old age. And the son is born. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons that will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And, uh, and yet they haven't arrived. Uh, the, the, they end up in exile at the end of Genesis in Egypt. Uh, they haven't arrived in the promised land, so to speak. It's a promise, one promise that still is unfilled. They haven't arrived. It's a powerful metaphor throughout Judaism and Christianity. So then we get to the Exodus, right? God calls Moses to lead the Israelites to freedom and to the promised land. Is there closure in the story? Well, no, it's supposed to take a few weeks, this journey, and as you know, it turns into 40 years of wandering in the desert. In fact, Moses uh, is so classic in the Jewish sense is that even when they get to the promised land, he, as a leader, doesn't even get to cross over. He is at the end of, of, of Deuteronomy. He is on, on the far side of the Jordan River, and he is granted only a distant vision of the land from a mountaintop with God. His ending is deferred. Deferred endings. No closure yet. The people enter the land, but the cycle continues. I mean, it's a step in, a step forward, and then a step backward into exile again. They're attacked by the Assyrians and then dominated by the Babylonians and dragged into slavery and exile. Then the Persians come and become the superpower and the Persians grant them an opportunity to go home and rebuild their temple. But then the Greeks come and the Greeks run over the land. And then after the Greeks come what? The Romans, we know that, which ended up with the temple's destruction and the diaspora, the complete uh, eradication of the Jews from, the, from their homeland, the diaspora, 2000 years later, right? In 1948, many believe like, oh my gosh, this is the return. Israel is rebirthed again, right? And a lot of prophecy nuts go nuts about that. But anyways, so 2,000 years later, they're back in the land. But it, have they arrived? <laughs> no. Is, 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 this, is this the promised land? Uh, no. There, there is no conclusion. It's still open-ended. Few stories have beginnings but no end. Uh, uh, this story has a beginning, but the end is still far out of sight. It has a Ziwataneho. If you watched my, my preamble to this, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the Ziwataneho in, in the biblical story is just beyond the horizon, just beyond visible. Uh, it's a glimpse, like Moses had, of a land that hasn't been reached, a future that hasn't been realized. Both Christianity and Judaism adhere to this future golden age, the Messianic age, as it's called, uh, an age of peace. It's summed up in, in, in the words of Jesus in, in the book of Revelation as a new heaven and a new earth that comes, right? 
in, in Isaiah 65, uh, it's, it's about the messianic age where uh, the sword will be beaten into a plowshare. There'll be no more war. Uh, the wolf and the lamb will eat together. The lion will eat grass. Uh, the world's gone back to, to vegan because that's, if you don't know that, that's what it was initially in the book of Genesis and creation. Uh, there was no violence, there was no meat eating, there was no killing. And it returns to that form. Uh, and God says here in Isaiah, the Lord shall be one and his name one. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And then in 65, 17, it says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered, all the brokenness, nor will they even come to mind. In other words, there's this new age and it's gonna be good. It's going to be the way it's supposed to be. It's called the Olam Haba, the world to come. Now, the dividing line between Christianity and Judaism, uh, in many ways, is in the question of when. A Jew, uh, if you ask a Jew, has the Messiah come? The, the Jew will answer, not yet. You ask a Christian, um, has the Messiah come? And they'll say, yes. Uh, but he's coming again, right? Because both the Jew and the Christian recognize that things still suck. This is not the Messianic age. But both will say there's hope. In some ways, some people would even go as far to say that the Jews invented the concept of hope in religion. And certainly by their story, you can understand why they needed it. There is this belief uh, that in human freedom, there is hope for a different future. And listen, I'm not saying we're perfectly free. I don't actually believe in a lot of what people believe in about freedom. There's a limited freedom, but this freedom is in existence. God created us in his image and part of being created in that image, as far as the story goes, is having the freedom of choice. Is it a perfect freedom? Is it 100%? No, but there is this, this ability to design your own ending. The future is open and nothing is necessarily inevitable. The, the society in the future is what we decide to make of it, right? So the Jews invite people to participate in this period, what they call the Tikkun Olam, the reparation of the world, the Olam Hazet, the world that is. And in doing so, as you repair the things that are broken and wrong, you participate in the speeding of the coming of the Olam Haba, the world to come. I love participating in the reparation of the world. And the early followers of Jesus understood this as the spine of Jesus' teachings. In fact, you know, they did that expecting that Jesus would come any minute because we're fixing things. In 2 Peter 3.10, it says the day of the Lord, will come like a thief. Now, some people think this is uh, the writings of the actual Peter, we don't know. Uh, the heavens, but it's very Jewish, will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's really beautiful, uh, that translation, because in the King James Version, it says burned up. 
And that's not what it means. Uh, and that's why so many uh, Christians are fatalists about the world or caring about taking care of it or participating in the tikkun olam because they just think the world's once one big trash can and material things don't matter and all that matters is getting to heaven, not the Jewish concept that heaven begins here on earth and it's heaven that is coming to earth, not earth that is going to heaven. Heaven is going to come to earth in the form of renewal. Eden is going to be recaptured. What was intended to be will ultimately be. So the word there is hurikos, hurisko. Hurisko in the Greek is where we get the word eureka. And eureka doesn't mean burned up and destroyed. It means what? Well, you know, if you live in California, you know, eureka means I found it. And that's what it really means that the world will be laid bare. It will be discovered, rediscovered. Uh, it's, it's a word that means like we have searched and dug for and found the beautiful, the good. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And then it goes on in verse 11 and says, since everything, let's put that as, what, what does everything mean? Evil, everything broken, everything corrupt, everything rusted will be destroyed. The rust is gonna be cut out and purged. He says, in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a $64,000 question. How are you supposed to live between now and then? And he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives, righteous lives, making things right, doing good things. As you look forward, hope to the day of God and speed its coming. That's right from Peter's lips right here. That's tikkun olam. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But keeping in with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where things are right and fixed. The, the rusted vehicle has been cut out. All the rust has been cut out. It's been bonded, patched, sanded down, finished repainted and lacquered and now the car is oops uh exactly mint in its condition again i love that in fact the word there that is used for new is fresh i even like that better nothing about like something fresh something very fresh and new now many ancients <clears throat> believe that human destiny light in the stars or blind fate uh, the greeks called her uh Anak, Anna, no, Anak, it's like Anak, I can't really pronounce the damn thing. But the Greeks believe like in this goddess of fate, like things are just already pre, and some Christians believe that too, predetermined, right? Uh, that's a very, very fatalistic approach to life in my opinion. Spinoza, the philosopher, said that uh, God is simply that which governs necessity. It's natural necessity. Marx really saw it as an economic issue. Freud saw it as unconscious human drives. Darwinian, Darwinians actually believe it's just something that's hardwired genetic codes into our brains. So in these systems, you could say uh, freedom is really a theory or an illusion, right? But this view is challenged by the biblical view, which is a very interesting anthropological view. And that is we have, because we're created in God's image, created like God, we have creative choices we can make. We can determine things. We have freedom and we too are capable of being creative and we too can create our reality and change our reality by our choices. Uh, so in the Bible, 
freedom is related to language and language is of course how God creates the world and humans are interestingly enough the only form of life that can use a future tense when communicating see we can imagine another world than what is and if we're relatively free that future is somewhat open and dependent upon us so we can know the beginning of our story but we can also create an ending the ancient civilizations didn't believe that believed in faith that the the, the future is determined by the past but for judaism and and followers of the way the jesus way there's nothing that can't be averted by choice i feel that way about global warming i feel that way about uh the way we cook food the way we create food i feel that way about our own health i feel that way about our own society about the injustices in the world i feel that way about global hunger i feel that way about universal health care i feel that way that there there are choices i'm really really thankful like you hear so many people like i'm so against socialism you know what when i freaking crashed and had a blood pressure of 50 over 25 and was nearly tapped out. It was my wife who called 911, and I had a bunch of people in my living room working to save my life. That's socialism. <laughs> it's not pulling yourself up by your own bootstrap. 911 is one of the most beautiful forms of socialism you can have, and that's a. Uh, and my health insurance is a form of socialism. It means that sometimes some of us get sick, and when we do, we need help. And when we get the help, we're going to share the costs of that help together. I'm going to share it with you. You're going to share it with me. That is socialism, and that is the way things could be so much better. So it's no accident that uh, the adherence uh, to the adherence adherence like people to the teachings of Jesus and Judaism are often fighting poverty or disease or in, uh, injustice or lack of education or food uh, because they refuse to see these things as inevitable. Uh, it's, it's, it, 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 it means that they're, they're calling out a different path and in a different way. And they're saying there's, there's a story here and we can create hope in it. And we can, it can be designed to create in people, families, communities, habits that f defeat despair because we end up taking care of each other. It's also no accident that the actual followers of Jesus and Judaism doing this have uh, been opposed by every empire uh, that has ever existed where the first priority is money, wealth, power. Uh, where we call for equality of all people they will call for the equality of no people and the power to only an elite group. And, uh, and they'll grant you less freedom. You, you know, we call for freedom of equality and even the right to be equal and different. Empires don't like that. So to believe in this concept is to be an agent of hope in a world that is serially threatened by despair and those who want to oppress. And yet every mitzvah uh, in Judaism, every syllable of Jesus' teaching is really a, a protest against the way things are. 
Uh, it's a protest against escapism or resignation or acceptance that this is just fate and the way it's got to be. My faith is a faith that is a struggle against the world that is, and it's sustained. It has a vision of what the world could be, should be, in fact, but isn't yet. And there's no more challenging vocation than that, let me tell you that. There's no more challenging calling, but there's no more rewarding one either. And I don't even care about success. I care about just doing it. Throughout history, human beings have sought hope in the teachings of Jesus and other divine sages. And I invite you into that hope and into that Jewish belief and practice uh, that's also in our faith as followers of Jesus, of the tikkun olam, the reparation of the world. There's a good world coming. We, however, are the, uh, the first landing on the beachhead. We are battling the corruption. We are battling what is not. We are battling the evil the deprivation of good. And we are looking for uh, justice to replace injustice. And we're looking to recover Eden today and in doing so speed up it's coming listen i love the words at the end of uh that letter that andy wrote to his buddy red in shawshank redemption he said red hope is a good thing it may be the best of things and no good thing ever dies so keep the hope alive keep hope alive peace and grace be with you